Praise the Lord. I want you to uh, take a moment and I want you to look at Luke chapter 6. And if you got a phone, then I want you to look at Luke chapter 6 in particular in the uh, New Living Translation. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 in the New Living Translation. We're going to do a little something here, and then we're going to get into this teaching this morning. I was joking with Kedron earlier, and I said to him, today may be the least spiritual message I think I may have ever delivered. And what I'm going to talk about today, everything I talk about won't apply to everybody. But everything I talk about will apply to somebody. So I encourage you to, to tune in to what we're going to discuss this morning. And be open to hearing Holy Spirit when he tells you these are the things that you need to work on for you. But before we get started, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And if you have the New Living Translation, which I believe they have up there, I want us to just read this and and look at this for just a moment. He says, give and you will what? Receive. He says, your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. He says the amount that you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, most people, when they use this, they appropriately so, they use this to talk about giving in terms of finances. But this morning, I want us to take a moment and think about this in terms of our appreciation and praise to the Lord. He says, give and you will receive. He says, your gift, our praise and our admiration for the Lord, he says, will return to you in full. But notice, when God gives it back, he doesn't just give it back the way we gave it. He says, I'm going to give it back, pressed down and shaken together. And the reason I do that is so that I can make room for more. In other words, when I bless you the first time, I'm not done. When I bless you the 10th time, I'm not done. When I bless you the 50th time, I'm not done. I still have more to give you. He says, and the determining factor for how much more I'm going to continue to give you will be based on the amount that you give. And so this morning, I'd like for us to take about 13 seconds. And in that 13 seconds, I'd like for you to give God some praise for everything that he has done for you. I'd like you to give God some praise for all that he is doing for you. And then lastly, I'd like you to give God some praise for all that he's going to do for you. If anybody in this place feels like God is worthy of praise and you want that same praise heaped back on you, I encourage you this morning to get outside of yourself and for the next 13 seconds, right about now, you ought to give God some praise. Father, we worship you. We thank you when we bless your name, God. There's no one better than you. You've been better to us than we've been to ourselves. We honor you. We praise you. We are thankful to you. And we honor you for all that you have done. 
for all that you are doing and for all that you're going to do that we can't even see yet, God. We praise you in this place, God. We come, inhabit this place, God. Not just this good, inhabit us, God. And we praise you and we give you honor for it. In Jesus' name. Now find a couple of people you didn't come to church with and give them a high five and let them know that God is still a good God. He's wanting to bless you. He is wanting to do all kinds of things for you. Pastor Sean said it earlier, our words are determined how we live. They can be a gateway and a door to prosperity or they can be a trap into poverty and sickness and disease. But the good news is we get to choose, amen? We get to choose. So it's good to see you all. I missed you all last week, those of you that were here. Uh, I know you guys had a good time. I heard about it. I'm excited to get a chance to share with you today what I'm going to talk about uh, for a few moments. I, I can tell you I won't get into the full depth of this because what I'm doing is I am preparing for Relentless Live. Amen. I got a couple sessions or a session and a VIP session I'm going to do, and I was asking God about what he wanted me to say to those individuals. And Pastor was laughing at me. It was so good. I thought, ooh, I got to share a little bit of this at church. Uh, and so this morning, I'm going to share a little bit uh, of what I hope to go really in depth with, with some activities and worksheets and some actual activities that produce some work at Relentless Live. So if you haven't signed up, I don't even know if it's still time yet, but if you, uh, I'm telling you, I was joking with Pastor Sean, I said they need to be in the room just because of what God gave me right here. Now I'm sure the rest of it going to be great, but, I, but, I, but this right here. <laughs> and so this morning, I want to talk to you real quick. Um, from, from, from a, from, it's going to sound spiritual the first five, ten minutes, but then we're going to switch this over because I want to I make a connection. Here's what you need to understand. The Bible tells us that anything that we can see in the world, there is a spiritual basis to it. Um, you, you know, things don't just happen. Um, everything in the world is an imitation of what's in the kingdom. The kingdom is what's first. The kingdom is what was real. Uh, everything else you see is a, a result of that. The idea of seed, time, and harvest didn't come from farmers. God created that concept before we were ever even uh, on the planet. And so uh, I, want, I want to talk to you this morning from this idea of how to ask for what you want and get it. How to ask for what you really want and get it. Because what I have determined and what I have seen and what research shows us is that the majority of people do not know how to ask for what they really want. And even fewer of those people know the actual principles that are there to teach you how to ask for what you want and actually get it. But the Bible is very clear that, that, that the asking component is crucial to us receiving what we believe. When we talk about being in faith, we spend a lot of time um, talking about the foundational principles and understanding of faith. Faith it is different than wishing. You know, I, you can wish to win the lottery, 
But if you don't ever buy a ticket, you ain't ever going to win a lottery. But you can wish it all day. Faith actually is based on something. A wish is not. Faith always begins. Now, if you've been going to church here for a year or two, you ought to know this. Faith begins where? Well, the will of God is known. So you have to know the will of God for your life or for any given situation in order for you to even say that you are in faith. But once you are in faith, there are three key elements to being in faith. And you can always, under, you can always check where you are based on these three key elements. Here are the three key elements. And we've talked about this before, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But we use the acronym ABC, the ABCs of faith. The ABCs of faith can be summed up by these words, ask, believe, and confess. You ask, you believe, you confess. And notice in the asking component, when you read your Bible, you find out so many times that God is really into us asking. So many times he says in his word, ask of me, prove me. And then so many times in his word, he talks about believing and where we're supposed to believe in our heart. And then he talks about this idea of confessing. And when we talk about confessing, he, he, James tells us we got to be careful about what we say and what we confess, because if we say something that we don't believe, the Bible says you shouldn't expect to receive anything because a double minded man is what? In what? Not some of them, but in all of his ways. So the ABCs of faith are critical to you understanding how to ask for what you want, what you really want, and then get it. I want to start with a couple of scriptures, and I'm going to walk you through uh, some meanings behind the scriptures. And then I want us to transition from the spiritual aspect to this really natural, practical aspect. Somebody asked me one time, they said, why do you and Pastor Sean spend so much time talking about the practical side of the Bible? Because that's how people live 99% of their life. I could, call, I could come up here and teach you a whole month about the book of Revelation. But what is seven horses and seven seals going to do for you on your job? Come on. I can teach it. I can help you understand what it means. But what is that going to help you do in your relationships? What is that going to help you do with managing your, 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 your emotions? What is it going to help you do with managing your finances? So we spend a lot of time talking about practical things because we live in a practical world. And so this morning, I'm going to spend a lot of time in the practical because I believe that if I can get you to hear some of this, what I'm talking about today, it may actually change some of your lives. Amen? All right, so let's go to James chapter 4, verse 2. James chapter 4, verse 2. And I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. And then I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 8 in the King James Version. So if you're taking notes, uh, I'll give you a chance to do that. Let's, let's look at James chapter 4, um, verse 2 in the New Living Translation. And, and just notice what the Bible says here. Because remember, we're talking about this asking component. How do we, how do we ask for what we really want. Um, and, and then how do we ask for it and, and actually get it? Because that's, that's the key to it. James 4 and 2, it says, you want what you don't have. So you scheme and you kill in order to get it. He says, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. 
So what you do is you fight and you wage war in order to take it away from them. This last part is so important. He says, yet you don't have what you want because why? You don't ask God for it. Now, now notice what he says because he's talking to a group of people here and he's talking about all of the infighting that is going on among the, among the believers. And if you read verse 1, you'll kind of get a, get, a, get a glimpse of that. But he says in verse 2, he says, you want what you don't have. Anybody in here sometimes know that you, there's some things you want, but you ain't got them? Let's just be honest this morning. He says, so what you do is you scheme and you kill to get them. Now, when he used these words kill, he wasn't, in, in, the, in the sense I went back and looked at this, he's not talking about physically killing someone, but they were killing each other with their words, with their deeds, with their attitudes, the way they were setting each other up for failure. He says, you scheme, and another translation says, you trick people in order to get it. He says, you're jealous of what other people have. He says, but no matter how much, how jealous you are, you still can't get it. He says, so then what you do is you, you find ways to fight and to wage war against other people so that somehow you can take away from them what you're wanting that you can't have. He said, but if you could stop all of that and all you'd have to do is ask me for it because it's my pleasure to give it to you. So I was reading through this, and then I went to Matthew chapter 7. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, out of the King James Version. And here's what he says. This is also recorded in Luke, and we'll talk about Luke in just a moment. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, it says this. He says, ask, and it shall be given unto you. He says, seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be what? Open unto you. He says, for everyone that does what? Ask, what do they do? Receive. Everyone who seeks, what do they do? Find. And everyone who knocks, what happens? The door gets open. That's a promise from God. So if you can't stop me from asking, if you can't stop me from seeking, and you can't stop me from knocking, you can't stop me from living my dreams. If you can't stop me from asking, and you can't stop me from seeking, and you can't stop me from knocking, you cannot stop me from living out my dreams. Because the promise is, is that everyone that asks receives. And everyone that seeks finds, and everyone that knocks, it shall be open. The difference is for you and I, as believers, God is the one we're supposed to be asking. God is the one we're supposed to be seeking. God is the one that we're supposed to be knocking and asking to, for access to. But this principle works even if you're not asking God. Oh, uh, new I, I wrote in my note, they're gonna get quiet. <laughs> Tell me I don't know you. Why? Because people, wait a minute, you mean I got this works when God makes it listen, when the sun comes up, the sun doesn't go, who saved? Who can I just shine on and save? The sun just comes up because the principle is it comes up in the day and it goes down at night if you live in the northern hemisphere. And so for us, it just works. God's principles just work. What I don't understand is why we let the world use God's principle and prosper better than we prosper when we serve the God who created the principle. 
The most common interpretation of these verses, though, is really found in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 and 10. I want us to take a look at Luke chapter 11, verse 9 and 10. I want us to look ahead in the message translation because the message translation leaves nothing to bear. As you are, he says, you wouldn't think of such a thing. He says, you, at, you are at least decent, oh my God, to your own children. He says, then don't you think the Father who conceived you in love will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask for him? Now, if he'll give you the Holy Spirit when you ask for him, how many of you know he'll give you other things when you ask for it? He says, this is not some cat and mouse game. He says, you don't have to go to God and use some technique that people use in sales and marketing where you ask for something big when you know you really want something else. Come on. Come on. See, I work in sales, and sometimes we do that. I know I really want to sell for about 15 days of PD, so what I do is I go and I start talking about 45 or 30 days. Well, I know they ain't going to do 45, but maybe they'll do 30. But in reality, I want 15, and 15 is probably what they can afford. But if I start at 15, instincts always says to offer something less. Yeah. So some of y'all really want to be debt-free, but what you say is, God, if you'll just pay my rent. But what you really want God to do is to make you debt-free. Yeah. But Bible says don't bargain with God. Just ask for what you want. God, I really want a new car. Well, if I can just have enough for an Uber. He says, you don't have to bargain with me. He says, just come to me and ask because everyone who asks, everyone who seeks, and everyone who knocks. He said, I got doors with, with houses and cars and healing and joy and peace and whatever you need, but you got to learn how to A, B, C. Understand something. When we read Matthew chapter 7 and 8, and we read Luke 11, 9 through 10, in this vein, these words, asking, seeking, and knocking, they're really all metaphors for an act of prayer. That's what they're really about. It's really about prayer. And that's why I told you this morning it'll start off a little spiritual, but then we're going to move to the practical side because when you read this, he's really talking about asking for things in prayer. Here is why prayer is so important because that is how you ask. That is how you seek, and that is how you knock. It's why we keep encouraging you to have a personal prayer life, and it's why we come together collectively on Tuesdays to pray. Why? So we can ask, so we can seek, and so we can knock. Why? Because when he uses these words, they are metaphors for prayer. In fact, if you go back and you study this out in the original language, the term ask, seek, and knock are and were intended to mean a continuous undertaking versus a one-time deed. In other words, he, it reads like this, ask and keep on asking. He says, and it'll be given unto you, seek and keep on seeking, and you will find, knock and keep on knocking, and, you will, and the door will be open for you. He says, for everyone who asks and keeps on asking, receives. He who seeks and keeps on seeking, finds. And to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door will be opened unto him. Many people believe that once you ask for something one time, that's enough. And the reality of it is, you ask for it, 
But every time you go back to God, you're thanking him for it. Why? Because I'm asking and now I'm seeking. And until it, until it manifests in my life, I keep seeking. So I say, God, I thank you that, that you, your word says to ask you to be debt free. God, make me debt free. Now, until debt freedom shows up, every time I think about it, I say, God, I thank you that I'm debt free. And then when God gives me a direction to do something, that is me. That's, that's my knocking. And so he opens the door. He says, okay, here's how your debt freedom is going to come. It's going to come through this door. So I walk through this door. But I got to be careful not to walk through somebody else's door. Because just because you went that way don't mean it's for me to go that way. That's why he said you got to keep on asking. You got to keep on seeking. And you got to keep on knocking. He said, because if you do those things continuously as a continuous endeavor, as opposed to a one time thing, then you get what you have. The renowned preacher, Dr. John Wesley, once said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. In other words, our heavenly father works through the prayers of his people. He shapes the world by the prayers of his saints, which means that he has to find someone who is willing to intercede in prayer so that he can deliver all of the treasures he has in heaven for us. In, in fact, some people call it the law of prayer. And, and it's the law that he has designed to operate in the earth. If you go back and you study everything God does, he does because someone prays it out. You know, we don't spend a lot of time talking about prayer in the way that, that we could, but there are literally places around the world where there are people praying 24 hours a day. They have eight different cycles, and people, based on who they are, read and they pray through those cycles. Why? Because prayer is the engine that moves your faith forward. Prayer is the engine that moves your faith forward. And if you don't see prayer as valuable, then you miss out on the whole ABCs, the asking, the believing, the confessing component of the very thing designed to help you manifest what you say you're believing for. Now, if we want the will of God to be done in this earth, it is our responsibility to pray that his will be done. Think about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9, and 10. It says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. What's the next part? Thy will be done. Where? On earth. Mm -hmm. His will be done in earth. Now, now, a lot of times people say on earth, and that's okay, but technically it's in earth. And the reason he says in earth is because it's about us. It's, 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 it's because watch this, you and I in us have the ability to change what's on earth. So he says, Lord, thy will be done. He says, let your will be done in earth, in me. Let your will be done in me as your will for me is already done in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but as long as I am here on this earth, I want to be surrounded by the will of God in my life. Prayer is our responsibility. Tell somebody that. Say, prayer, prayer is, is our, our responsibility. responsibility. God has called each and every one of us to prayer. Everybody's called to prayer. Amen. There is no such thing as, oh, that's not my thing. It is if you expect to receive from God. Amen. Say that. Say, prayer, prayer is, is my thing. My now, I'll let you go when you say kids ain't your thing, because I've seen how some of y'all are going to act. Kids ain't everybody's thing. But prayer is your thing. And if your thing hasn't been developed, that's just because you haven't developed it yet. 
but it is your thing. See, prayer is your thing like breathing is your thing. Prayer is your thing like eating is your thing. Prayer is your thing. It is, in fact, there's, there's one place uh, the Bible says, Lord, I desire your food. I, de I desire your word more than my necessary food. Yeah. And so it's important for us to understand this whole idea about prayer and how it corresponds to our asking, our seeking, and our believing. The law of prayer requires us as believers to pray so God can answer our prayers. In other words, we are supposed to ask and then allow him to answer. So many times we ask God for something and then set out on our own plan. God, I want a new house. You just take off. You don't, you don't ask God where to go. You don't ask God what city. You, don't ask, you, just, you, just, you just do things on your own accord. And, and, and listen, I know you're smart. I know you are. I, 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 can, I, I know you got degrees. I know you got big job titles. I know you got all that stuff. But let me help you. You don't know what's coming down the road. You can take everything you know and ever will know. It don't amount to anything of what God knows. And so why not use uh, the resource that belongs to us? I think about this. I told somebody this one time. I, I think about God sometimes like a thesaurus, right? Because think about this. When you're writing a paper, a letter, or anything, you have a limited vocabulary. No matter how expansive, because I know some of y'all are like, not me. I know. You gotta, you, at some degree, you have a limited vocabulary. And every now and then, your limited vocabulary can only take you so far. But when you're writing a paper, if you will use a thesaurus, sometimes that word that you are using there, there's another more powerful word that you could use. Instead of using the word um, event, you could use the word uh, undertaking. Yeah. Or, or, or instead of using the word situation, you could use the word quagmire. So, see, uh-huh. <laughs> so, 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 so sometimes I have an idea, but my idea is limited. Come on. So I go to God, who's like this, this infinite wealth of a thesaurus, and I ask him, God, here's what I'm thinking, but what you think about it? Yes. He's like, oh, you're on the right road, but let's do it this way. Yeah. And see, God has the ability to supersede even your best of plans. But you got to learn to trust God. It does not make you uh, uh, slow. It does not make you uh, 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 lacking in some way in order to go and ask God for help. It actually shows how smart you are. There, are. there are a lot of people who struggle with asking for help because you think that asking for help means somehow that you're not smart. The smartest people ask for help. Would you rather be stuck on the side of the road trying to figure out how to change a tire rather than asking somebody who actually know how so you can get on about your business? Understand something. God is all-knowing. There's no doubt about that. But God also, because of how he set the system up, needs you and I to participate in the process. God needs you and I to, to ask him. for we, we need to give God permission. We have to ask God to do certain things in our life. Think about it. If God wasn't a gentleman, there would be no reason to have to pray for people to be saved. Everybody would just be saved. Mm -hmm. That's right. God would go, all y'all saved. He would just forget about your will and just, just always be saved. Just make you. He'd make you live right. 
You be trying to do wrong, he just be pulling you right. But God's not like that. What God does is God has set in practice this relationship that says, I am good and I want to be good to you, but you got to ask me to be good to you. And then after you ask, you got to believe that I'm going to be good to you. And then once you believe I'm going to be good to you, you got to seek me so I can be good to you. Because then it's my good pleasure to give you the entire kingdom. I want to switch for just a moment and, and, and move away from prayer to a more practical standpoint. Because if we can ask, and if we can seek, and if we can knock, then why don't more of us have what we ask, what we want? That's the real question. Why don't we have what we want? And so I started thinking about this, and the Lord's been working with me on some of these things too, because I struggle in some of these areas as well. And so he began to say to me that literally there are four and I'm sure there could be more. This is what he said to me. There are basically four reasons why people do not ask for what they really want and get it. There are four reasons why people don't ask for what they really want and get it. Most people have a hard time asking for what they want, whether personally or professionally. If you stop for a moment and think to yourself and be honest with yourself, is it hard for you to ask for what you want? Most people initially say no because they only think about the things they have asked for. Oh, that's good. That's good. If you ask the question, the majority of people go, oh, it's not hard for me to ask for what I want because you have been proficient in only asking for what, what you think you can get. But if I could pull back the layer for just a few moments... If I had a whole 30-minute session with you where I could really dig into you and help you do some activities to get you to really think, what are the things you really want? What are the things on the inside of you that you really desire? But, in, but if you're honest, you're actually even afraid to say them out loud. What are the things that you desire that you, you want to say them, but you're afraid to say them because if you say them, it's going to sound foolish? What are the things that you want, that you really desire, that if you just had the courage to say it, you would say it and you wouldn't care what nobody thought? Yeah. Those are the things we speak of. People say, well, I don't like to ask people for a ride. Well, I get it, but you ask them for a ride. We ain't talking about those things. We're talking about those mountain-moving things in your life. We're talking about those things in your life where ain't nobody ever even heard of them but you and God. Those things that, 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 that you think somehow you are limited because of your race or because of your gender. Well, you say, if I wasn't black, if I wasn't a woman, ooh, I could do this. Those things that, that boil on the inside of you, that say, if I didn't live in the South, if I, if I didn't grow up in poverty, if I, didn't, if I wasn't molested, if I was taken care of, if I was loved more, these are the things I could be able to do. But there are four reasons. And, 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 and recently, there's been this robust dialogue about how women in particular are reluctant to advocate for themselves, especially professionally. It used to be where the, the, the thought was women just don't do that. And then it was this idea that yes, women should advocate for themselves, but the system was set up such that even when they advocated for themselves, they were penalized for doing so. 
Now let me help you with what that looks like. Any of y'all ever seen y'all brother or sister get a whooping? Now, if you ever saw your brother or sister get a good whooping for doing something they wasn't supposed to, unless something wrong with you, you thought to yourself, I ain't doing that. So the, the system is designed not to have to punish you, but to punish folk like you. Because if I can punish people like you, then you will be afraid to try. I will train you by training someone else. How dare you be bold enough to act like you can have a job like that? I'm going to punish you so that everybody who sees it won't try it. So the system has been working on your grandma, it's been working on your, on your mama, it's been working on you, it's been working on your peers, it's been working on your colleagues. And so what it's taught you to do is to ask only for what you've seen somebody else get. Because if you saw somebody who looked like you, if you saw somebody who came from where you came from, if you saw somebody who grew up like you get it, now you think you can get it. But God is saying, I want to take you to a place. <laughs> well, some folk who, ain't, who don't look like you, who ain't came from where you came from, gonna get some stuff they ain't never got before. But in order to do that, he's going to have to do some work on our minds. He's going to have to take us from this, he's going to transition us from this idea of, of being fixed to this idea of the ability to grow. So, so, so while, while gender differences do exist, I, I, they do, they absolutely exist. Generally speaking, though, both men and women have a hard time putting themselves out there to make the important ask, even if it's at work or in their personal lives. Most people have a hard time putting themselves out there for the ask. Why? Because you got to be vulnerable to do it. And every time, every time you risk vulnerability, you risk being scrutinized. And most people, if they are honest, don't like being scrutinized, even if the scrutiny is constructive. It's why feedback is the most difficult thing for people to receive in the workplace. Because when people when, when, when people are, are, are giving feedback or people are, get, are, 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 are constructively criticized, what they hear is, I'm not good. Absolutely. I'm not worthy. You don't like me. So when God wants to grow us, we give him the same thought process that you give to your boss. So God wants to get, Lord, take everything out of me that ain't like you. He started pulling stuff. Oh, you don't like me, God. Ah. But you asked me. 
You ask me for feedback. I tell the people on my staff all the time, listen, if you ask me for feedback, you cannot take it personal. You cannot take feedback personal because if you take feedback personal, you never get beyond the purpose of the feedback. It's also why we don't ask for what we want, though. Because if we ask for what we want, we secretly know that someone may question how dare we have the audacity to ask for such a thing. And we don't want to have to have the conflict, the discourse that goes along with explaining because God told me I could have it. But ain't nobody looked like you ever did that before. That's why he picked me. And so God said to me, he said, these four, these four reasons why people don't ask for what they really want. Asking for what we really want takes courage. Asking for what we really want involves personal risk. Because if you ask for what you really want, if you, whether it's personally or professionally, what if they say no? I was talking to a young girl the other day. She's asking me for some advice. She's like, we've been dating five years. We said we weren't going to get married till we finished school. We both finished school two years ago. We still dating. Yeah, see, I love that. Cut it, cut it, cut it. But how many of y'all was in that same situation? See, it's so, we're so quick to give great advice, and we're so hesitant to follow it on our own. And, and, and maybe yours wasn't with a man. Maybe yours was with a job. Maybe yours is with your family that you keep going back to and they keep treating you like trash, but you keep going back because they blood. But they family, but they treat you like crap. You won't ask for what you want. You won't say, God, give me some people in my life who love me. Give me some people in my life who respect me. No, you just keep running back to family. Family ain't who you was born into. Family is who you make it. But you won't ask, though. You won't ask because to ask means I got to take some personal risk. What's the personal risk? If I stop fooling with family, family going to talk about me. But they're talking about you anyway. But if I leave this job, I won't have enough to pay my bills. But you're already behind. You're already behind. You're robbing Peter to pay Paula now. What are you doing? What are you doing? The enemy has you stuck in this place that you are afraid to ask for what you really want because in your life you've never put yourself out there. But today you ought to make yourself vulnerable. Today ought to be the day you say, I, I, what I want I'm asking for. So the question for us today is what holds us back? What holds us back from asking for what we really want and moving forward to achieve our dreams? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'll give you these four things. I'm going to share with you a quick video, and I'm going to stop because all the rest of this is going to be for relentless. 
but I want to give you a taste of it. Four reasons that we don't ask for what we really want. Number one, go back to number one. Asking makes us vulnerable. Most people don't make the ask. People who are in sales live by a philosophy called ABC, which is different than ask, believe, and confess. Always be closing. If you're going to be in sales, you better always be closing. Every conversation you have is about the later ask. But most people don't want to do that because it makes them feel vulnerable. There's this very inspiring uh, TED talk. It's called The Art of Asking. You don't go to it right now, but you can write it down. It's called The Art of Asking. And in The Art of Asking, this young lady by the name of Amanda Palmer, she discusses that our fear of vulnerability and our fear of being judged is what most often prohibits us from asking what we really want. You ask any guy, why didn't you ask her out? He'll tell you, I thought she was going to say no. Why? Because they were afraid of what? Rejection. I don't mean to dis be disrespectful, but you want to know how the ugly dude got with the pretty girl? He asked. Anybody else was afraid. She's too pretty. She's too amazing. She looks so great. She's so smart. She's so professional. She got so much going for her. And the other dude just lit up. <laughs> hey, boo. <laughs> and she probably been waiting on somebody to ask her out. Most people are afraid to ask. You, 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 you want God to do a certain thing for you. It's in your heart. I can see your chest beating when you start thinking about it. But you won't open your mouth and ask God for it. Why? Because you're like, if I ask him for it, and what if I don't get it? You're no worse off. And so in this, in this TED talk, Amanda begins to talk about how she was a street performer. And, and that based on her street performance, she learned how to ask for what she wanted. Because as a street performer, you don't get paid if people don't give you money. Yeah. And she talked about how that, that carried over into her life. And, 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 and the thing that she learned is that asking for people does something really powerful. And when I heard this, it blew my mind. She said, asking people for something causes a connection. Yeah. And when people are connected to you, they're willing to help you. But if you never ask people, if you never ask God, if you never get out of your comfort zone to ask for what you want, you are never able to make a connection. But in making the connection, the connection is the thing that causes people to do for you. I saw this so amazingly as, I, as, I, as I'm running for Springdale School Board. There are, there are people who can't vote in this election, not because they don't live in a city, they don't live in a state. But when we ask them to share or to send money, they did both. Why? Because we asked. If you don't ask, there's no connection. 
But once you make the ask, people get connected to the ask and they get connected to you. God wants you to ask him, watch this, for what you want so it'll connect you Because he's already connected. If he can get you connected to him, then he can funnel to you everything you need. So he says, how do I get them connected? I require them to ask. She makes this powerful statement. She says, through the very act of asking people, I learned to connect with them. And when you connect with them, people want to help you. She says, we all have desires and needs. And by sharing them with those who can actually help us, we can create an empathetic connection, which in turn encourages others to invest in us. You want people to invest in you? You want people to invest in your ideas? Learn how to ask. One of the things that I've learned from Pastor Sean and watching her on social media is she doesn't mind putting the same thing up a bunch of times. Why? Because the more you ask, the more the connection comes. Now, there's a difference between asking and begging. There's a big difference in asking and begging. When you ask, you're saying to people, here is what I have. Here is what I do. Who can support this? Who can connect this with this? Whose vision goes along with this? Pastor and I was talking the other day. Everything you do, everything you do that takes you out your comfort zone is going to require you to be vulnerable. I had somebody on the, on, the, on, on the Edwin Strickland for Springdale School Board's page, write something really nasty, a racial thing on it. And Pastor Sean was like, we'll burn this whole city down. I was like, no. I was like, I was like no, 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 no. That's not what we're going to do. Because if you always play it safe, you never get what you want. So if I have to be concerned about what some racist is going to say to me because I make a decision that I feel like God told me to do, do I let the racist win or do I let God win? Same thing is true for you. Whatever you decide to do, who you going to let talk who you going to let talk you out of it? You going to do what God said? Or you going to play it safe? You going you going to play it safe so you're not vulnerable? to anybody else. Number two, why we don't ask for what we really want? Number two, we don't actually think we have a chance in Hades at getting it. We don't think we got a chance. God says, hey, I got a new job for you. It's two steps up from where you are now. In fact, the job I have for you, you're going to be managing the person who's managing you. But God, I only got three years of experience. I don't even have an MBA. My degree is in psychology. How, how am I going to get to be their boss? And they know so-and-so. My boss is connected to so-and-so. They go to church with the VP of so-and-so, who go to church with the EVP of so-and-so. How am I ever going to get in? I don't even play golf. I don't even go to their country club, God. So here's what happens. Most of us have become proficient at negotiating against ourselves. Wow. 
It is the one thing we are really, really good at. We are proficient at negotiating against ourselves, at telling ourselves every reason why it won't work, every reason it shouldn't work. Every excuse there is, we negotiate it with ourselves. Why do I say that? Because part of us is saying, oh, no, God said this. I can have this. But the other part of you is over here fighting it. And you end up negotiating against yourself. And because you've done it for so long, you've gotten proficient at it. So even if you get in the room, even if you get the interview, even if they say, hey, we want you for this, they telling you they want you, you telling yourself they don't. And so guess what happens? Your faith works. Selah. Your faith works. You believed you didn't deserve it. You believed you weren't going to get it. You believed it wasn't for you. And then you're surprised when your faith works. Listen, so many times before we ever even utter a word, we shut ourselves down in our souls. Our mind, our will, our emotions, our imagination, and our intellect. We shut ourselves down. And shutting ourselves down preemptively so that even if we begin to muster the courage to even make the ask, we make it with zero confidence. So yeah, you you like Pastor, I made the ask, but what was going on internally before you made it? And so God wants to do some things. He wants to change some things in us because I'm telling you, you have been assigned to greatness. And the enemy can't stop you. And so I'm going to teach this so that you don't stop you. It's key to understand that from an employer's perspective, you as an employee are the main investment. You have to get the mindset that it is your employer's best interest to keep you. Yes, it is. It is to your employer. So so when you have to make the ask, you ain't got to be afraid to make the ask. You need to make the ask based on sound research and information. But when it comes time to make the ask for the promotion, to make the ask for the raise, to make the ask for the time off, whatever it is, you got to know you are your employer's most important investment. We had a young lady at, on, on, on my job, and my boss was, was, was talking about whether we should let her go or not. And she had done a couple things that, that, that realistically she just needed some coaching on. And, and yeah, it had been easy to let her go, but you know how much time it takes to find another employee, to train another employee? And I, and I, and I laid out for him, and I showed him the cost. And it, it cost us about $5,400 to find a person. And then there's no guarantee when you find them and you make the final offer that they will even accept it. So let's say you have to do that twice. You spent 10 grand. I'm like, pay me 10 grand, I'll coach you. But the truth of the matter is, you got to see yourself that way. So don't be afraid to make the ask when it's necessary. Now you got to be smart about it. You can't be entitled to two weeks off and walk in there talking about you want to be off for two months. Now, come on now. I'd be like, yeah, you could be off for 12. 
So you, you got to be reasonable in your ask, but when you ask, you got to believe what you're asking for. Number one, you deserve it, and number two, you're going to get it. Yeah. Is, it not, is it not irksome when somebody calls you and go, oh, 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 this, oh this, this, your kids. Well, Mom, I was going to ask you. Oh, my God. Ooh, I can't stand that. I don't know if it's just me, but I can't stand that. Well, I was, I was going to ask you if we could go uh, to, to altitude, but I know you're going to say no. No! If you already know I'm going to say no, then no then. It's manipulation. And that's why God said this ain't some cat and mouse game we playing. Don't be asking me for something when you already know you don't think I'm going to give it to you. So you got to ask for what you want and believe you're going to receive it. Number three. Why don't we ask for what we really want? Number three, we aren't sure of what we really want. <laughs> we aren't sure of exactly what we want. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. I'm in a bad relationship, and I'm not happy. I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want. And sometimes knowing what you don't want is a start. I said this to people, and Bashel and I, we laugh and we joke all the time. We say this is marriage what? Four. This is marriage 4.0. We've been, uh-huh. I said, wait a minute, what you talking? Yeah, this is, them other three, you don't even count. We threw them away. Why? Because every time in either one of those 1.0, 2.0, or 3.0s that we found ourselves in a situation where we weren't happy with our lives and what was going on with each other, we knew one thing. We weren't going to be unhappy. And then one thing we could agree on got us to agree on some other things. Now, if that didn't work out, I may still be preaching this morning. She wouldn't be sitting there. Or she may be preaching this morning and I wouldn't be here. But what we decided, though, is that we were going to, two things were going to happen. We were going to be happy. That was not, it wasn't like happy again. We were just going to be happy. And number two, we want it to be happy together. Yeah. Once you know what you want, you can ask for whatever it takes to get there. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to be happy. I knew I wanted to be happy with her. So whatever I had to ask of her, I asked it. Good. Whatever she had to ask of me, she asked it. But a lot of times, we don't actually know what we want. It's hard enough to ask for what you want when you're absolutely sure, but it's a whole lot harder when you don't even know what you want. When we are ambivalent or uncertain, we can put ourselves in a sort of reflection limbo. Many of us never leave limbo. We get analysis through paralysis or paralysis through analysis. You, you, you just keep analyzing, trying to figure out what you want. Listen, if you can't know what you want, find out what you don't want. Maybe you all know this uh, about your current situation. Maybe it's, maybe it's about your role at work. Maybe it's your current salary. Maybe it's your schedule. Hey, I don't know. Maybe it's your commute you're taking, your career path. Maybe it's a relationship. All you know is that it's not working for you right now. Today can be the day that you say, you know what? I'm making a change. I'm making a change. Whatever I need, if I got to ask somebody for advice about my resume, if I got to ask somebody advice about starting a business, if I got to ask somebody advice about going back to school, whatever it takes, today I'm going to make an ask to move myself out of my current situation. And then number four, and I think this is the one that hunts everybody. Why we don't ask for what we want? 
we are actually afraid of getting what we want. Whenever people say that, people almost always go, not me. Not me. I ain't afraid. Give me five million and try me. I understand that. But what I call this is I call this the devil we know syndrome. And for so many people, you have learned to manage your dysfunction so that now you think it doesn't impact your quality of life. And so you're not really sure what it would look like if you didn't have that dysfunction anymore. Like, what if you didn't have your spouse to blame for why you're not doing what you're doing anymore? Because right now I can blame them. They the reason I can't go back to school. They the reason I can't do this. They the reason. What if you couldn't blame your boss anymore? What, what would you do if you couldn't blame anybody but you? What if, what if you couldn't blame anybody but you? Now, this may seem counterintuitive to a lot of people. And, and that's the reason it is so paralyzing. For example, if we ask for it and we get the new job that we want, how many of you know what a new job comes new responsibility? Because let me help you. Nobody's going to pay you $50,000, give you a new job that pays you one fifty, dollars and expect you to have the same responsibility. Oh, it's cool to look at the executives and how much money they make, but you know how much they're working? With every new raise comes new responsibilities. So what, so, so, so what if you really did get the new job? Could you really handle the responsibility? Do you even really want the responsibility? Me and the Lord had this conversation just this month. Well, last, this is February, not January. I missed church twice in 2020 already for work. I'm like, no, Lord, you know I'd do anything. But I don't miss no church for no work. He said, you ask me for this job. He said, you ask me for the raise. He says, now, would you like for me to fix it? so that you don't ever have to miss church on Sunday for this job? I said, well, can we just cut the number down? Because the truth of the matter is, with certain responsibility comes certain responsibilities. And you got to ask yourself, I'm asking God for this thing. You know, right now, you live in your apartment by yourself. Don't nobody touch your stuff. Lord, send somebody my way. He going he gonna to touch your stuff. <laughs> Listen, people don't think they are persnickety about their stuff. Everybody is persnickety about their stuff. Move someone into your space and let them move your stuff. Why do you do the toothpaste like that? What kind of monster... What kind of monster are you that you would grab it in the middle? Because only a monster would grab the toothpaste in the middle. Only a monster.
you to put the toilet paper going under like that? What's wrong with you? Who raised you? So you got to be careful. Because you asked the Lord for something, and he just might send it your way. We are afraid of actually getting what we want when we think about it. There's this book. It's called Resilience, Facing Down Rejection and Criticism on the Road to Success. You get a chance to read the Cliff Notes. It's called Resilience. It's a pretty thick book, but you can get the Cliff Notes and get the most of it. Facing Down Rejection and Criticism on the road to success. In this particular book, the author writes this. He says, on some level, it is more comfortable to stay in a familiar situation, even if it doesn't feel great on the surface. Because achieving success, however you define it, means you are entering uncharted territory. It means you are putting yourself out there to be scrutinized and criticized and exposing yourself to new pressures and demands. And this is what holds most people back. This is what holds most people back. Because what if you actually get it? Are you prepared to handle everything that comes with it? I'm telling you, FOC, you built for it. I'm telling you, you're designed and engineered for greatness. Everything God has for you, he already knows what you need to be successful with it, in it, and through it, and you have it now. Right now, you got it. So what happens then? The key to overcoming this is to think about all the positives that come with getting what you want, not spend time thinking about the negatives. You have the power of choice. Say, I have, I have the, power the power of choice. Of choice. And because you have the power of choice, you get to choose what you think about. So choose to think about the positives that come along with getting what you want. Think about that bigger, that bigger paycheck. Think about how much more satisfying the work will be. Think about how much more accommodating the schedule could be. Think about how much more meaningful and deep your relationships could be. And then once you do that, embrace the opportunity as a chance to learn and to grow. Your, your perspective can only be enhanced with a new situation. People used to ask me why I wasn't afraid to change jobs. I'm not afraid to change jobs because every job I have, I learned something new at it. And every time I went to the next job, I was able to extrapolate what I got from that job and explain how it would help me with the next job which is why I got the next job. And so you can't be afraid to do things that are unorthodox. You can't be afraid to do things that are non-traditional. You have to be willing to hear God and follow God, amen? And so I'm gonna end here. I've got, um, I got one more thing I wanna say and then I wanna, I wanna, I wanna share this with you. Um, in order for us to do this, God really has to work on our thinking, okay? And so, Tamara, you're going back that way. Or, or, can, I, or can I get you to turn that, that light out for just a moment? I got a, about a three-minute, 45-second video that I'm going to show you in just a second. I want you to watch the video. If you can, put your notes down. I'll put the video on the group. I'll do whatever I need. I just want you to soak in the video. I just want you to hear it. Because in the video, what it talks about is this thing called a growth mindset. And for most of us, we, 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 because of our experiences, we, we spend a lot of our life in what's called a fixed mindset. 
But God wants us to really truly develop this idea of having a growth mindset because with the growth mindset the thing God wants to do for us he can do and here's here's the thing I want you to know if you follow God long enough you're going to miss him hear me when I say that missing God doesn't make you a failure unless you're unwilling to learn from the mistake if you follow God long enough, you are going to miss him at some point. A fixed mindset says, I've missed God. That means this opportunity is over. A growth mindset says, I missed God. What did I learn so at my next try, I can succeed even better than I would have the first time? So, Ralph, if you can, you go ahead and get that started. You may have to turn the volume up on it. And I just want you to watch this for about three or four minutes. Virtually all great people who've been successful in any field have possessed growth mindset qualities. But how can you develop them in yourself? Step 1. Learn to hear your fixed mindset voice. When faced with a new challenge, the voice might say, Are you sure you can do it? Maybe you don't have the talent. But what if you fail? You'll be a failure. People will laugh at you for even thinking you had talent. If you don't try, you can protect yourself and keep your dignity. When you hit a setback, the voice might say, This would have been a snap if you'd really had talent. You see, I told you it was a risk. Now you've shown the world how limited you are. It's not too late to back out, make excuses, and try to regain your dignity. As you face criticism, you might hear yourself say, It's not my fault. It was something or someone else's fault. Constructive feedback might make you feel angry at the person who's giving you feedback. Who do they think they are? I'll put them in their place. Even if the feedback is specific and very constructive, you might just hear, I'm really disappointed in you. I thought you were capable, but now I see you're not. Step 2. Recognizing that you have a choice. How you interpret challenges, setbacks and criticism is your choice and yours alone. You can interpret them in a fixed mindset as signs that your talent or abilities are lacking or in a growth mindset as signs that you need to ramp up your strategies and effort, stretch yourself and expand your abilities. It's up to you. So as you face challenges, setbacks and criticism, hear the fixed mindset voice and Step 3. Talk back to it with a growth mindset voice. As you approach a challenge, the fixed mindset says, Are you sure you can do it? Maybe you don't have the talent. The growth mindset answers, I'm not sure I can do it now, but I think I can learn to with time and effort. Fixed mindset, But what if you fail? You'll be a failure. Growth mindset, Most successful people fail somewhere along the way to success. Fixed mindset, If you don't try, you can protect yourself and keep your dignity. Growth mindset. If I don't try, I automatically fail. Where's the dignity in that? When you hit a setback. Fixed mindset. This would have been a snap if you really had talent. Growth mindset. That is so wrong. Basketball wasn't easy for Michael Jordan, and science wasn't easy for Thomas Edison or Albert Einstein. They had a passion and put in tons of effort. As you face criticism, Fixed mindset. It's not my fault. It was something or someone else's fault. Growth mindset. If I don't take responsibility, I can't fix it. 
Let me listen, however painful it is, and learn whatever I can. Then, step four, take the growth mindset action. Over time, which voice you listen to becomes entirely your choice. Whether you take on the challenge wholeheartedly, learn from your setbacks and try again, or hear the feedback and act on it. Success is now in your hands. If you focus on process, do your best and enjoy it. Now, here, here are the four, I know it went by quick, here are the four things that he really said. Number one, you gotta recognize when you have fixed mindset thoughts. Dre, will you turn those lights back on? Will you turn those lights back on for me? Thank you. You gotta recognize when you have fixed mindset thoughts. And yes, we all have them. Don't lie to yourself and be like, oh, that's not me. Yes, you do. We all have fixed mindset thoughts. What you have to do then in number two is to recognize that you have a choice in whether believing that thought or not. So what if you fail? That fail failing doesn't make you a failure. Michael Jordan says you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So number one, recognize your fixed mindset thoughts. Number two, recognize that you have a choice. Number three, you have to actually respond to your fixed mindset thoughts with growth mindset thoughts. This is what Pastor Sean keeps talking about, and this is what we keep talking about when we talk about how powerful your confessions and your words are. You can't think away thoughts. You have to speak away thoughts. And it may seem silly to you, but it works, and you should try it. In fact, we used to do this exercise, and we'll, we'll do it right now because it's, it's such a powerful exercise. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start counting. And I'm going I'm to count from 1 to 10. I may not make it to 10. But when I say go, I want you to just scream. I want you to just say your name. Okay? So, when I, so what's going to happen is I'm, I'm going to start counting. And you start counting with me in your head. Like if I say 1, 2, you start counting in your head. When I say go, you say your name. Y'all ready? All right. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, go. What happened to the counting? It's a psychological principle. You cannot speak and have that, uh, that those thoughts at the same time. So don't lay in your bed with a glass of red wine having bad thoughts. Amen. If you're going to be in the bed with the red wine, at least be saying something. At least be saying something. Don't just lay there being sad, listening to sad music in the dark, trying to think away the thoughts. It's not going to work. At least say something. At least, if, if you're going to drink the wine, at least drink it. Talking about, I'm creating this image. Something. <laughs> something. Right. Number four, take growth mindset action. Yes. You got to do something. Pastor Sean says it like this. You got to participate in your own rescue. You got to take growth mindset actions. That means you got to be willing to take a risk. you got to be willing to be vulnerable. you got to be willing to put yourself out there. I never understand why people are having bad marriages and won't ask somebody for help. You ain't got to ask us, but ask somebody. What a good marriage. Go to a counselor. Why would you have financial problems and then, and then, and then not ask somebody to my, well, I'm going to be ashamed. You ain't ashamed when they come and put that boot on your car? You ain't ashamed when people come to your house and your lights are off? 
If you got if you got bad finances going on, find somebody who can help you. You keep going to interviews and they keep you keep making it to the first or second round. They don't ever hire you. Ask somebody to, to, to interview you and ask somebody to help you to see if it's something that you're doing that you don't realize you're doing. It's not it's stopping you when you get to the later rounds. That's good. You applying for 200 jobs, ain't nobody called you back. Let somebody look at your resume. But you gotta take those growth actions. And if you do that, I'm telling you, it can start to work on your mindset. Now, at Relentless, we're gonna talk about the seven keys that hinder us from taking these steps. We're gonna, we're gonna create something called a courage wall. When we create that courage wall, it's gonna be empowering. It's gonna give people an, an opportunity to, to, to unleash those things. You might not come to Relentless, but I encourage you to spend some time this week writing down some things on a piece of paper that you wish you could do. Something you really, I don't care how ludicrous it may sound to you. Sometimes you gotta get 20 bad ideas to get the one good one. But what would you love to do if you didn't have something holding you back? You know, the Lord really challenged me to stop saying what I would do if all my kids were grown. He said, it ain't your season to do that. What would you do right now? What would you do right now? Because right now they ain't grown. He said, so what would you do right now? Focus on that, because focusing on what I would do if they was grown is irrelevant until they grown. He said, and all that does is causes you stress and anxiety about your right now. So I encourage you, when you start to do that this week, those of you that are participating do it, you ought to be thinking, what, 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 what would I do? What's holding me back? What do I really want to do? I want to open that bakery. I want to drop an album. I want to, I want to start a, a, a daycare. I want, to, I, want to, I want to get a new job. I, I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to, I want to be a motivational speaker. I, 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 whatever you want to do, what's holding you back? But you can't be a motivational speaker and be sad all day. <laughs> Come on. I'm just telling you, that's not gonna work out well. So, so what? So what's the growth? So what's the growth mindset thing I need to do? I need to inundate myself with positive, motivational things. If I want to be a motivational speaker, but I get sad during the day because things make me sad, I gotta, I gotta take some actions. Amen. 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 So God bless y'all.